core to the sustainable development goals of the United Nations is this notion of leaving no one behind. We have to make sure that the benefits are being extended to all sorts of groups of persons, many of whom may have historically been marginalized. It feels like it's time. It's time for us to unearth different metaphors, different archives of knowledge, and to find nourishment in that. Welcome to this podcast series from the International Science Council, where we're exploring diversity in science. I'm Marnie Chesterton, and this time we're looking at democratising knowledge and tools for a more sustainable future. Identifying pathways to sustainable, equitable development is a major focus of the ISC's work. In 2015, the UN decided on 17 Sustainable Development Goals, a blueprint for creating a better planet for everyone. These included eliminating poverty and hunger, reducing inequality and taking action on climate change. Meeting these goals will depend on access to tools, knowledge and data, and ensuring the voices of the vulnerable are heard and championed. In this episode, we'll hear from two researchers working towards more sustainable futures. My name is Injairu Kulundu Bolas. I'm based in Cape Town, South Africa, and also the Eastern Cape, South Africa, and I am part of the Environmental Learning Research Centre at Rhodes University. Injairu is part of a network supported by the ISC's Transformations to Sustainability programme. This supports research on the complex social transformations needed to address problems of global environmental change. My research focuses on decolonial youth futures in Africa. My research is about democratizing knowledge and it's about inviting young people in particular to start to expand and grow the particular trajectories that they feel they have reason to value. I think the research comes out of a skepticism and maybe even a little bit of jadedness with some forms of youth development that try to contain what young people believe and try to almost inculcate them into being good citizens when often there's such huge contradictions they're experiencing and navigating in incredible ways in their contexts. So what would happen if we could allow the space for these incredible young people to lead us? In her PhD, it was Injairu's experience as an artist and a musician that gave her a new way of connecting with young people. I tried to, at a particular point, write a paper about what I was hearing. And in sharing that paper back to the young people I was co-conspiring with, I realised that we'd lost a sense of engagement and we'd lost the freedom and we'd lost, we'd lost some vital energy. And it, it, it really came back to me as a researcher to think about a different way to echo that back. And in this, I used song. I wrote songs in response. Well, songs, songs that really were able to hold what it was that I heard. It moved beyond the rational and it, it was able to speak of what, what somebody was longing for, what they were frustrated with, what they had the strength to do and what they were hoping for in one breath because you had such a, a deeper palette of colours to play with in expressing that back. The gesture of song is an honouring one for someone to sing back to you. It's not, it's not the critique or an analysis. And um, 
one of the participants said to me it was interesting to feel seen and not looked at. Creating an environment in which young people felt seen rather than looked at or examined allowed for deeper conversations about social transformation and the kind of changes they wanted to see. A lot of our discourse in youth development doesn't give as much space for young people to articulate for themselves what they feel and need. One of the things that I often notice is that when we get into a space together, there is a really strong culture of debate. And, you know, in that kind of space, whoever's got whatever you call articulateness <laughs> um, or, or who's loudest and more vociferous often wins. But it was really important to foster a space of a different kinds of dialogue and to use art-based methodologies um, to deepen that. And, and for me, I think that the whole aspect of democratizing research and diversity is getting to the heart of that. Diversity means to me that the knowledge a grandmother holds is taken wholeheartedly as it is. The knowledge that young people hold is taken wholeheartedly as it is. It's, it's a space that seeks to cut through all of this quite, sometimes quite dense translation process and abstraction process that constitutes some people as knowers and others as, as not knowing. And for me, diversity in terms of science has to account for the wasted knowledge that we have not been able to work with and push forward in meaningful ways. The Transformations to Sustainability programme supports sustainability research led by social scientists that's focused on finding solutions. Crucially, the work involves all relevant groups at all stages of the research process. It's based on the premise that environmental and social sustainability will never be achieved without profound social change, as well as knowledge and data from many sources. The Sustainable Development Goals which were agreed upon by 193 countries back in 2015, come with a whole set of measurement requirements. And so that requires huge amounts of data and statistics. This is Hayden Dom, who's a manager with the Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Hayden works within the Thematic Research Network on data and statistics, or trends. Well, I find it interesting just how many issues can be better explored and understood through modern data solutions. But I also find almost troubling, really, how much we still don't know out of the Sustainable Development Goals indicator list. There are some 90-plus indicators that deal with the environment. And for over two-thirds of those environmental indicators, we do not have enough data to monitor our progress at a global level. Hayden recently collaborated with the ISC on a webinar about gridded population data. Gridded population restructures all that data according to squares laid out around the face of the earth and tries to estimate how many people are in each of those individual squares. And then you can have more complicated versions where you actually bring in satellite imagery and other forms of data. It's not about looking at where a specific individual is based, but how 
people might be clustered around, say, infrastructure, or do they have access to basic services, things like this. And one of the most practical applications probably is using population data for disaster response. With less than 10 years to go to meet the sustainable development goals, access to data like this can really transform our understanding of what's happening on the ground at a local level. Data is a form of knowledge and therefore it's a form of power, really. And it's important for us to consider how do we make sure that we are advancing a form of sustainable development in a way that is genuinely inclusive rather than simply having this new form of power become concentrated in the hands of those who are already powerful. More generally, it's not good enough to just come in with a solution that you think might work. It really needs to be designed collaboratively. It needs to actually address the genuine needs of the community that you want to benefit. The importance of looking at the genuine needs of a community is something that has particular resonance for Hayden. Hayden is blind and has worked collaboratively with colleagues and teachers to find practical solutions for accessing tools. Doing engineering, studying as a blind student, there definitely were challenges to overcome. There were diagrams I couldn't see, equations I couldn't read. And uh, you know, figuring that out was sometimes a struggle, but I was incredibly lucky that I had a supportive community, the professors who worked hard to you know, find solutions. It definitely took extra hard work from me, but I could not have done it without this wider support. And together we would create different tools. Um, we made these three-dimensional, uh, 3D printed diagrams of electrical circuits. We made a software that allowed me to plot out an audio graph of data that I might have been analyzing. Uh, like I've always uh, appreciate pointing out to people, no one can actually see an atom. So not being able to look at a diagram of an atom doesn't necessarily limit my ability to understand what it is. It's just that we've often chosen to represent things in a visual way out of convenience, but that doesn't mean that they can't be understood in a different way. If you apply a certain level of creativity and you're also part of a supportive community, um, you know, there are great tools that can be found. Hayden is sometimes contacted by people designing such tools. For this process to be successful, it has to include the perspective of the people who are going to end up using the product. Oftentimes sighted people who come up with a solution that they find to be possibly you know, a perfect candidate for a blind person don't necessarily understand what a blind person wants or needs and simply blindfolding themselves and giving it a test run doesn't give them all the information that they might require. And so it's really critical to not just try to you know, put yourself in the shoes of your target audience, but really incorporate them in the process. And relatedly, I think sometimes focusing strictly on the technical might cause us to overlook the other aspects of solutions that are required as well.
there's a lot of interest around installing beacons and train stations and uh, having highly technical app-based ways of allowing the blind to navigate. But sometimes the best solution might just be to have a person to show you the way. Building on that, Hayden has seen how the data on the Sustainable Development Goals can inform honest conversations about how disability intersects with goals such as reducing poverty for all. So there's some real progress being made in our ability to measure in a meaningful way the size of the population that's disabled. Poverty and disability certainly are intersecting issues that if you are poor, you're more likely to have disability complications. And likewise, if you're disabled, you're more likely to uh, experience poverty. And uh, so having data on this is an important first step to actually addressing some of these underlying issues, making sure that people with disabilities are able to be shown the respect that they deserve and have a chance at leading a life of dignity. It would be wrong to think that simply having the data uh, will solve these problems, but it's an important first step to having an honest conversation that goes beyond basic anecdotes and allows us to see things at a population level. Some one billion people around the world, or 15% of the total population, experience some sort of disability. And so when we talk about disability inclusion and access, uh, we are talking about respecting the dignity and improving the lives of a sizable portion of humanity. It's not about generosity and charity here. It's about um, you know, realizing certain goals for uh, all people. In order to realise the overarching goal of the United Nations 2030 Agenda to leave no one behind, access to scientific knowledge, data, tools and infrastructure is fundamental. And they need to exist within spaces that are open to diverse experiences. Only then can we truly hope to build a more sustainable, equitable and resilient future for everyone. That's it for this episode. More information about the projects mentioned in this podcast is available online at council.science. Next week, in the final episode of this series on diversity, we'll be considering how to combat systemic racism in science. In the past year, the issue of systemic racism in society and science has hit the headlines worldwide. We'll be hearing about why the ISC is taking a public stand on this topic. Shirley Malcolm and Adam Habib will be talking about the changes they've seen in the decades they've been working to challenge racism in research settings and discuss what's worked and what still needs to change. We'll also be hearing from Brittany Kamai about why we need to keep showing up and continue to have these conversations. <laughs>